Hello and welcome to the first Sock Takes podcast of 2018. This is episode 36, as Kevin reminds me. I will be serving as your host tonight. My name is Nipun Chopra, and on behalf of the Sock Takes family, we wish you a very happy new year. In case you haven't heard, there's, a mass, there's some massive news with Indy 11 joining USL this week. And we'll perhaps get to that another day. But today, for the first episode, we have a pretty special guest to start off our new year. But before we get to him, let me introduce the usual suspects. The founder of Sock Takes and the monarch of Lanyards, Kevin Johnson. <laughs> KJ, what's going on? Not a whole lot. It's great to be back. You know, we took a little hiatus there. I don't think we've potted for a few weeks, but... Uh... Super excited about 2018 and even more excited about the, the guests we have on this episode. But I'm even more excited about the other co-host we have, and that's the sweetest of babies, sweet baby Aaron Gunyan. Aaron, what's going on, man? Not a lot. I'm excited to be here today. It is a new year. It's a new podcast. We do have a very special guest, and I don't want to take up any more of your time listening to me. I'd like, I'd like you to go ahead and introduce our guest. Well, the thing is, our guest doesn't really need an introduction, but we're going to do it anyway, right? What? There's literally <laughs> nobody listening to this podcast that doesn't know him. He's an ex-US Men's National Team player, a current analyst on Fox Sports, and a 2006 inductee to the National Soccer Hall of Fame. You know him, and you're not ambivalent about him. You agree, you disagree, you admire, you loathe him, but you all listen. I know this because that's how I feel about him. Joining us tonight is none other than Alexi Lalas. Alexi, welcome to the Sock Takes podcast. How are you? Gentlemen, it's an absolute pleasure. Um, uh, that was a wonderful introduction. I, I enjoyed it. I think it thoroughly and, and succinctly encapsulated my, my existence as, uh, as it relates to, uh, to soccer in the United States. So uh, onward and upward. Uh, we're so glad to have you, Alexi. Thank you for taking the time. We uh, reached out to our listeners to, for a lot of questions, and we got a lot of questions. Uh, but I want to ask, before we get into the nitty-gritty, I want to ask you an overarching question, Alexi. Mm -hmm. uh, as someone who has been involved in American soccer for your entire life, uh, I won't say how old you are, uh, how, do you, how do you assess the health, the current health of American soccer? Well, I am 47 years old. I'll turn 48 uh, this summer, probably uh, somewhere in Russia, uh, as we are bringing right. uh, the World Cup to everybody with uh, with Fox. So I usually turn uh, a, a birthday during the uh, the World Cups in the summers. Um, look, I, I think that we are at a uh, you know one of those crossroad type of moments. I think we are seeing both the best and the worst that American soccer has to offer. I think uh, at times we. Uh, are enjoying the cannibalization, I think, um, and the, even the degradation of uh, both people and concepts and eras and times. Um, but I also think that there is some healthy and interesting and, and probably needed conversation as to who we are, uh, where, where we have been, and maybe more importantly, where we're heading. So, I mean, as, at a, at a you know, uh, at a, uh, a big picture type of assessment, uh, I think we're I think we're at a, a good place. Uh, it might be a moment where we take a step back in order to go two steps forward. But sometimes you need that. And uh, I, I don't think I think ultimately at the core and at the soul of everyone, regardless if we agree or disagree, it's a desire to progress, to evolve, to get better, to fix things that aren't working. Um, but also to recognize what has worked and maybe to give some perspective uh, and some needed perspective, because I know at times 
it's the sky is falling and everything's wrong and we got to tear down the system and all that. And maybe there are elements of that that are valid and fair. But I also think that it's also a time to, to recognize how far we've come in a relatively short period of time, whether it's on and off the field. So that, that's, that, that's, I think, where we, sure. we, we start 2018. And, and, and a lot of stuff to be, to, to be decided. Certainly nothing is, is clear. Um, and, and we're going to navigate through some interesting and maybe even some difficult waters going ahead. And speaking of that, Alexa, you took it upon yourself to... Uh, to to challenge the uh, U.S. soccer presidents, uh, presidential candidates in the last few months uh, with with questions that have been important for all of us to learn about as, as viewers and lovers of the sport. But I'm curious what your rationale was to take to Twitter uh, to ask these individuals these questions, some of which tie into what you started the conversation with, which are things that need to happen to take the take U.S. soccer to the next level. Well, without getting too political, I think just in terms of, let's say, in, in the way that uh, that President Trump has used Twitter, there are people that like it, there are people that don't, but I don't think that anybody can underestimate uh, the power and the range and the direct nature of mm. Twitter. And so I think that, that that was part of it. But I also think that, that you know, I, I say it with this caveat, uh, Twitter is... Um, at times an echo chamber and at times in, in the best of times it can be a, a focus group and kind of give you an idea of what people are talking about and I think it can produce some some very positive and good good results especially when you're trying to get to the bottom of things but it can also shade things and it can give you a work uh, perception of what reality is. As far as as the candidates it was just the, the easiest and most direct way I had to get the questions out and and my my objective wasn't even necessarily always to get them to answer. And let's be honest, very few of them have answered. But sure. when they do answer, I think it's enlightening. I think it's important. I think um, they recognize that they can use it from their perspective to get out uh, information. But uh, it was almost also important for me just to get out my questions that they had. And, and for me, the, the interesting things at times is the question itself and being able to ask those questions, whether we get an answer or not, because it's not just... The, the candidates that ultimately respond to these these questions. Everybody else does too. And I think it's fascinating at times to see the differences and, and the way that we look at these questions and the way these questions are answered by everybody, not just the candidates. Aaron? Yeah, I think that's great what you're talking about and what you're doing. One of my questions, Alexi, has to do with what you see and how you define your role, role in this. Mm -hmm. You have called out a lot of the USSF presidential candidates you you are i don't want to put you in a box but you are kind of an analyst are you taking a role are you filling a void that isn't there are you are you seeing that you're the only one doing this well i get asked you know what is your job what do you do and 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 if you want that one word yes it is a, a soccer analyst or i guess that's two words but I, I always looked at myself and i certainly don't apologize and i'm proud of the fact that i'm in the entertainment business and that i'm an entertainer and a performer and when you say that sometimes people cringe but uh just because you consider yourself an entertainer and performer doesn't mean that what you say can't be genuine uh honest and authentic and so the things that i say um i recognize that the way I say things, whether it's on on air, on television, or even the way that I word a, a tweet, um, matters because it can have an impact and effect in the in the way that you uh, the way the way that you say something or the words that you use to say it. And that's that's what I look at. I look at myself 
uh, in terms of uh, my job on television to give an interesting, uh, hopefully an entertaining uh, and informative take on things. You don't have to agree with me. As a matter of fact, many people don't. Uh, but uh, I, I, I don't want it to be boring. I know at times it is boring, and I know at times it, uh, uh, it irritates people, but that's, that's okay. That's kinda, that kind of comes with the territory. If you're pleasing everybody and everybody agrees with you, then it probably wasn't that interesting a topic to begin with, and you're probably not doing your job anyway when it really comes down to it. Now, I don't, I, I don't purposely go out there to antagonize people, but I recognize that in, in the way that I do things, uh, I am going to antagonize people, and I don't shy away from that. That's that's certainly their prerogative to uh, to scream and yell. And, and to be quite honest, I think a lot of them enjoy screaming and yelling when it comes <laughs> to screaming and yelling at me. You you do seem to enjoy trolls a little bit. I mean, you know, Twitter is one of those places where people are nasty sometimes sure. for no reason, just for sport. I don't know. Um, by the way, this is kind of surreal, and I'm I'm having a hard time not fanboying out. I mean. I grew up watching you play soccer. This is amazing. This is happening to me right now. I'm I'm actually in the live conversation with the host of Ask Alexi right now. This is pretty intense. For <laughs> it me. is. It's weird, huh? No, but look. You know, I, I I do I do a lot of podcasts and big podcasts, small podcasts. Uh, it doesn't really matter to me because the reality is that you know while I'm incredibly fortunate and privileged to be able to go on television and to make a very good living uh, talking about soccer, the, the the truth is that we are all part of this soccer community, and I learn as much from talking to you guys or going back and forth on. Twitter with people. And that's why I always say, you know, when I'm doing a Periscope or something like that, I, I really look at it as training. I, I look at it as working out all of the different kinks and, and adding and subtracting and polishing because I sure as hell don't know everything, guys. And you guys uh, have followed the game. You understand the game. I hate when people uh, preface everything when they talk to me and say, well, you would know better than me because you played. I, I get that to a certain extent, but don't don't do that, and I I don't think that you will do that because you guys understand the game. Your your opinion about a subject is as valid as mine. Uh, you don't. Uh, it, it's not. It doesn't. It doesn't. In my mind, at least, it's no lesser of an opinion because you may or may not have played at whatever whatever level. You understand the game. You understand how it works, and your opinion, in, in my estimation, uh, is as important and as valid as anybody out there. Now, it doesn't always get out there. But at least on at least in this format right now, what you say, I look at as valid. I don't necessarily agree with everything, but that's okay. That's part of what I think is fun, and and we don't have enough of that in soccer, to be quite honest. We don't have enough of the the conversations that happen in bars and happen in backs of buses and in taxis and on commutes that 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 we constantly see on television when it comes to other sports. We just don't get enough of it, and a lot of it is taking place. Uh, on podcasts and people kind of DIY and uh, their their soccer um, intake and their soccer uh, and their soccer diet on a daily and weekly basis. So kudos to you guys for doing that. It's a pretty new school way of thinking uh, for somebody that went to school for somebody that went to school in the 1900s. That's true. That's true. Back, back then we did, we had no idea what a podcast was. A podcast was, but you know what? You got to grow. You got to evolve. Uh, evolve. I know I'm an an, old, an older guy, but I can certainly appreciate, especially when it comes to you know getting the message out, and and more importantly, as I said before, just talking to people, you know, and 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 being able to interact with people about different things and talk about this sport that we all know and love. We all have different and varying different uh, uh, ideas. And I, I learned so much. And my, look, my perception of things changes by, by talks that I have, whether it's officially uh, in, in a podcast or just walking down the street.
KJ? Yeah, in this upcoming USSF presidential election, of course, there are several hot-button issues, uh, whether it's pro-rel, pay-to-play, player development, um, equal equal pay for the USWNT, or even uh, performance of the USMNT on the pitch. Um, What do you think, if you had to just target one issue, what do you think is the biggest issue that's negatively affecting U.S. soccer right now? Well, I think that, that I would say it. Uh, well, okay. Um, I think, okay, if you're just talking about, let's say, pay to play. I mean, I think it, it all kind of goes into youth. And I think that the candidates, rightly so, have kind of zoned in on youth development. Because we look at our country, we look at the numbers, we see the problems that, that, that may or may not exist, uh, and we want to do something. And we recognize that if a Christian Pulisic exists, then there could be more, and we need to do more to find them, and that and that leads to a million other conversations. So I think in general right now, I think that getting the, the uh, for lack of a better word, the pathway or youth soccer back on track is important. Now that's that's easy to say. That's a bumper sticker. That's uh, you know that's a that's a hashtag and all that st- all that kind of stuff. But actually doing it, that, that's that's a whole nother thing. Now when you ask me that question, I think the first thing though that, that did occur to me was, I, I think right now we have we have a problem in that we try when it comes to the national team. And when it comes to the actual soccer that's played on the field and whether it is successful, I think we have a problem in that we have so long tried to be everything to everybody. We have tried to fit everybody in. We have tried to be as inclusive as possible. And while on the face of that uh, of things, that may be wonderful uh, and we might get pat, a pat on the back for doing that. I think when you're actually trying to build a soccer team, uh, being able to say, this is how we are going to play. This is the type of player that we want. And in that sense, being almost more exclusive, and I know that scares a lot of people out there, um, that might be a more direct and quicker way to success, as opposed to, as I said, just trying to be everything to everybody that we've done. Because, look, the the, the wonderful thing about our country is the diversity, what makes us great and what makes it, in my mind, the greatest country in the world. But it also, because of our size, and because of this diversity, gives us incredible diversity of thought. So if I ask you guys what the beautiful game is, what good soccer looks like, I'm going to get three different answers from you, and I'm going to give you a fourth fourth answer. That might be nuanced, and we might have things that we agree with. But the reality is that when you go across our country and you ask 100 different people that are involved in soccer what good soccer is, you're going to get 100 different answers. That makes it very, very difficult to decide and to pick one way of of playing and one type of player. Because when you do that, be careful because it will exclude players that don't fit into that. And that, that, that raises red flags. And I, and I understand that. And I think that's something that we're going to have to deal with going, going forward. It's all fine and well to talk about fitting everybody into a way of playing, but it, it might take us a whole lot longer in order to figure that out because of that incredible diversity of thought in how we think about the game. And, and this is just, things that I that I think about I don't have the answers I'm not saying one thing is right or not but I but I, but I do but I do say that because of the different ways that we think about the game it makes it incredibly difficult with that size and comparing it to other nations and other cultures at times it is that proverbial oranges and uh, apples and oranges type of uh, situation 
And this whole election, um, it seems to be very factioned. Uh, It's almost gotten to the point now where you can kind of tell, you can kind of assume who someone might vote for based on um, if you just say, hey, what leagues do you follow? Um, (laughs) Hey, what's your opinion of MLS and stuff like that? You can almost, without even someone telling you who they would vote for, you can kind of just almost pigeonhole and just, you know, you can kind of just see where people are falling in for certain candidates. Um, So that said, uh, one thing I wanted to ask you was, Certain candidates, for example, like Carlos Cordero and mm-hmm. Kathy Carter, what can they do to kind of to shed their label of being a status quo candidate? Yeah, so so both Carlos and, and, and Kathy, maybe in different ways, they have a real delicate balance because they have to use the advantage, and there is an advantage, of being insiders and perceived insiders, whether it's Kathy with the Soccer United marketing connection uh, or Carlos actually being the vice president of U.S. soccer, that there is... There, there, there is an, a, a value to that, and they have to mind that. And I, and I believe that they both will, but they also, at the same time, have to distance themselves, in Kathy's situ- situation, obviously, from some, and in Carlos's situation, from actually being there where, okay, Carlos, you were part of it. You're part of the system, and you had opportunity because you were inside to change it. Why didn't you? And he's going to have to say, well, I wasn't given the power, or whatever, whatever he ends up saying. And Kathy's going to have to say, Look, um, my some connection and the some work that I did, I'm very proud of that, but recognize that going forward, I am going to be working 100% for the Federation and for your interests as opposed to some interests. And that's going to play with some people. That's not going to play with others. As you mentioned, I think there are real divides and there, there are real, um, but whether it's organizations or people that uh, are very, very quick to say, I'm going this way. But that's no different than any other election. You have what you want and it's what, what have you done for me lately and how can you help me? And the interesting thing, guys, as you know, is I, I don't know about you, but I don't have a vote. You may have a vote, but I don't, I don't have a vote. And so just trying to figure out what the voters want and what the voters expect is very, very difficult because once again, just because something happens on Twitter, or people say this on Twitter, doesn't mean that that translates into votes. And I think the candidates understand that. I think we all understand that. But it also makes it very difficult to predict how those voters and those members are going to uh, align themselves and with who. So, Alexi, I want to go back to the question uh, that KJ asked first. Um, mm-hmm. it, it ties into your uh, call in today uh, that I got surprising got to listen to it was perfect timing i was in the car and alexi called into uh into um uh tony miola and uh and brian dunsett's show um on sirius xm and it ties into your comment about this identity of what a certain faction of fans might uh, might think of an american soccer player versus other fans having a separate idea of what that identity should be so can you kind of summarize what your thoughts are about this? What exactly is the point that uh, you were trying to make? Well, the point I was trying to, t- to make today, as it relates to, you know, for example, Jonathan Gonzalez, and for your, for your listeners who don't know, this was a, a dual national who could have played for Mexico and the United States. He actually grew up in the United States and was part of the uh, United States uh, uh, youth soccer program playing in the under-15s and, and, uh, and involved in the under-20s. So he was a part of the system and, and certainly identified as part uh, of a potential um, future when it comes to the U.S. men's national team, the full national team. He just decided to make his switch, uh, and everybody is screaming and yelling that this is a, this is a, you know a perfect example of how the United States uh, Soccer Federation is is uh, has failed, and this is um, 
uh, should be used as, uh, as an example of why things are, are horrible when it comes to the United States Soccer Federation. What I was saying was, because uh, obviously the Latino and Hispanic population in the United States uh, has always been a target and always been something, whether you're, whether you're trying to sell something from a branding standpoint uh, or whether you're trying to access good quality soccer players, there's always been a recognition that this is both an underserved community, uh, but also a, a community that needs to be uh, that needs to be mined, that needs to be scouted. And without a doubt, we have done a poor job in the past. Has it gotten better? Sure, it has. It, it certainly has gotten better. But I think this this sentiment out there that, uh, that this is because the United States Soccer Federation uh, doesn't have connections, doesn't uh, isn't mining and isn't recognizing, and more importantly, isn't valuing the Hispanic Latino uh, player in the United States. Now, when you say that, um, I, I just, I just, I just hope that people actually say it and have the courage to say it. Because when you are saying that, what basically you're saying is that it's uh, systemic when it comes to the United States Soccer Federation, and that there is um, a, uh, a a a racism when it comes to the Hispanic and Latino uh, uh, community out there that is endemic and that, as I said, is systemic and is something that uh, exists. And if that is the case, because I don't, you know, I don't, I don't know or not, but you have to say it, and then you have to say it to the people, the men and women that each and every day for years now have worked for the United States Soccer Federation and have gone out there. I got a feel that if you said that to them, whether it's it could be anybody, it could be, uh, you know, it could be Tab Ramos, it could be Tony Mirola, it could be any of any of these uh, these men and women that work, and not just the one, ones that that work in terms of coaching in the X's and O's, but but all of them, the administrators and all that kind of stuff. If you were to say that, I got a feeling that they would be offended by something like that. It doesn't mean that it's not true, and it doesn't mean you can't make that argument. But I think it's important when we're talking about this because I I listen to people, and it seems to be. Just, just underneath the surface and shaded. And I think if you're going to say it, you might as well just say it and, and and get it out there and let's and let's deal with it. And I think you know somebody like my friend and colleague Hercules Gomez, I think, has run, done a really good job uh, of bringing this to light. Whether I agree or whether others agree with him is is irrelevant. But having this conversation and having this understanding of what what you believe, do, do the facts bear it out, and do the people that are actually on the ground and doing the work. Um, agree with your assessment. And it's not just, can we get better? Because everybody understands that we can get better. I understand that. You guys understand that. But uh, I think at times it's really easy to dump on people right now, uh, given the circumstances and given the climate, when people don't necessarily understand what the constraints are that they're under, what the mm -hmm. uh, resources that they have or they don't have, and then really what the reality is of what they have been doing. And I just want to. I guess it's more of a of a warning today. I was, uh, or or just a, a clarification, so I understood and said it very very blatantly as to what we are talking about here, or what we are potentially alleging or accusing the United States Soccer Federation of doing. Sure, I think it was a very interesting conversation. I'm, from my perspective as an outsider, I can't help but agree with some of the things that were said, especially by Hercules Gomez. I want to pick your brain about this because. Sure. Ultimately, systemic racism makes it seem like uh, it's, a, it's a very loaded word mm -hmm. in the sense that it makes it seem like these coaches are actively acting against uh, students of uh, players of color, young athletes of color, whereas it could be a lot less um, negative, but a lot more insidious. It could simply be the fact that 
these coaches, as hard as they work, and how, and I have no doubt that they worked their butts off. I've, I know a lot of coaches who worked their butts off. Aaron is a coach uh, himself. Um, but is it possible that these athletes are being are slipping through the cracks because it is an overarching problem of of finances, of possibly racism, of possibly xenophobia, and the fact that these things are happening instead of so my, I guess my question to you is, do you believe these things are real or are you suggesting that the bigger problem is that they're not being called out? No, I, I do believe that they're real. And I think that we can certainly get better. And I do believe that, that you know, the, the Latino and Hispanic community is, is, is certainly underserved and, and that there, there is talent there that at times uh, yeah, certainly goes goes unseen. And I'm not suggesting that there aren't players that fall through their cracks. But I'm what I'm suggesting is this sentiment out there that there is this massive drain of talent out there when it comes to the United States. I, I don't necessarily I don't necessarily agree with that. But I'm not saying that there isn't talent that falls through the cracks. And by the way, there's talent that falls through the cracks everywhere. And I think almost going forward, we should probably define what talent falling through the cracks sure. is. Jonathan Gonzalez is not talent falling through the cracks, okay? Right. <laughs> a, a, a player falling through the cracks is someone that for whatever reason, because of uh, geography, because of uh, finances, because of ethnicity, uh, doesn't have the opportunity and doesn't get seen um, for that moment when you are judged and when you are brought along. But but also the other part of it is, and it goes back to the the, the issue of of playing style, you know, we have no problem of making generalities and stereo and stereotypes when it comes to uh, either countries or cultures in terms of how they play. And for years, we've talked about you know the English way of playing or the German way of playing or the uh, uh, the Latin way of playing Spanish or the Brazilian, play, you know, yeah. all this kind of stuff. Yeah. We we talk about that now. It's rooted in a history and and a general accepted version of how the game should be played. But if you're going to do that, then you have to recognize that once again, it is going to be exclusive by nature because if that's how you're going to play, then only players that can play like that are going to fit in to what you're doing. And, and by the way, this has nothing necessarily to do with, with ethnicity or nationality or culture. Really, I mean, I, I used the example today. If I said the national team is only going to play with left-footed players uh, or players that are good with their left foot, then all the players that are left-footed are going to have a hand up. All right, they are going to be a, uh, a more uh, have a they're potentially going to have a much better opportunity to play for the national team. And all the players that don't have a left foot, they have two options. One, they can go about and have their career, and they might be great players, but the recognition that they're never going to be able to fit in because they don't have a left foot. Or they can go about adapting and saying, "All right." Um, we want, uh, I want to, I want to play on that team or I want to play on the national team. And so I'm going to have to develop my, de develop my left foot. Now your argument to me is going to be, yes, but why can't we just have all players that play with their right and left foot? Now I, I was using the left foot as an example, but stylistically, no matter what, you're going to have to come to an idea of how you were going to play because you can't play every different style. I know we have this concept of the, the, the you know, the, the melting pot, which works uh, which works and works well as a country, but as a soccer team with 11 players on the field, you have to have a general understanding. This is why I often say um, we might be better suited 
calling a national team just from Southern California, given the experiences and the shared experiences and the geography and the fact that they play against each other, that might be a better way of actually getting a successful national team. Do we want to do that? Eh, Probably not. But if it's only about winning and getting better, we might have to get smaller. And as I said, more exclusive as opposed to getting bigger and more inclusive. And I know that I know that runs in the face of what America stands for. But and so, but that's the, but, but that's the but, but it might be it right? might be the way to go from a soccer perspective. But Alexi, that's a critical question. What exactly do you mean by that? That is such a that is that is not a that doesn't have any operational definition. Exclusive can mean a million things. What do you mean by saying we need to become more exclusive as opposed to inclusive? What does that mean? Okay, uh, that means that um, as a team, we are only going to play out of the back. Okay, come hell or high water, we're going to do a Pep Guardiola-esque type of thing where we are only going to play out of the back. If I grow up and I'm, and I'm a player and every time there's a goal kick as a center back or whatever, I go up to the midfield stripe and I stand there because I've been coached. And what I believe is soccer is that we're going to kick that, 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 uh, that ball out as far as possible and get it down. We're going to take the goal kick. We're not playing out of the back and risk losing it. Now, I can do that, but recognize that. I'm not going to be involved and I'm not going to play a part. And so what do I have to do? I either have to say, fine, that's it. I don't care. Um, or I'm going to have to adapt. And that's where that uh, exclusive, because that's the type of player that you want. But why, where, so I'll let Aaron get on uh, next because right. I feel like I've taken a lot of time. But where does the, where's the link between what you're saying in terms of a playing out of the back versus the conversation that we've been having, which was about, you know, say Latino players, missing out on Latino players. Are you trying to say that Latino players have a specific, that's the real question. Are you saying Latino players have a specific style of football that might not meet what you think, or not you think, what American soccer quote unquote exists as? Is that no, the central I'm, premise? No, 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 no. I'm, I'm, I'm saying that, look, anybody, regardless of where they're from, can adapt and can figure it out. Okay. And, and yes, we have, as I said before, we have our, uh, our, um, our generalities when it comes to how different cultures play and any, anybody, anybody can adapt, but I'm just saying going forward from a, from a soccer perspective. All right. Yes. We need to, uh, as we said before at the beginning, we need to access all the talent that exists. Okay. But you know, for example, there might be a kid, I don't know, pick a, pick a, pick a state or something like that. There might be a kid that's incredibly talented, but doesn't necessarily fit into how we are going to play. And, does that mean that we are not um, that we are not mining that community of those types of players because that player doesn't fit into how we're going to play? Depends on how good the player is, Lexi. Well, like, it could you be have, great. It have... could be the best player in the world, but it doesn't right. necessarily mean, from a national team perspective, that that player should play. And this is this is the other thing. Just because a player is successful someplace, and pick your in you know X team in whatever country you want. Just because a player is successful doesn't necessarily mean that that player should be on the national team. And I know in the United States, believe me, I get it. We we hate the thought of of uh, uh, of untapped talent or discarded talent or ignored talent. I I, I get that. But going forward, we're going to have to accept that there are going to be Certain players that may be very, very good. You know, Sasha Kleshin. Everybody loves to talk about Sasha Kleshin. The dude is an incredible player. I love him. But he might not be a national team player. All right? He might not fit in to what's going on with the national team in terms of the person that is there to decide it, whether it's a technical director, whether it's just, you know, a coach or whatever it ends up being. 
Does that mean that that uh, that we are that we are wasting that talent? Possibly, Aaron, your turn. Well, let's try and put a bow on this. And I, I was just really enjoying this this moment where Napoon is is trying to I don't know draw out some racism from Alexi Lalas. Oh while I'm sitting oh here. <laughs> um, but. Let's talk about Jonathan Gonzalez and, and put a bow on this. And we have a lot of listeners and a lot of sure. our fans ask questions. So shout out to Eric Albers, Mark Anderson, and Don, Don Woodman. Basically, you said why people care about Jonathan Gonzalez. Why should we care or should we care about Jonathan Gonzalez making his declaration uh, switch to the Mexican national team? Should we care? Uh, oh, should we care? Yes, because undoubtedly this is a talent. Okay, whether that talent fits in the in the national team, I mean that's 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 up for debate. But certainly he has gone along and and been involved at the youth level when it comes to the uh, the national team. So this is an identified talent. This is a talent that has, for the most part, been successful when it comes to the United States Soccer Federation in terms of the system that we have. And ultimately, this is a talent that now we will not get to see or potentially see rise to that ultimate level. And that's that's disappointing. Look, everybody's disappointed. I'm disappointed. But I am happy for him because I think that ultimately uh, he is where uh, he wants to be. Now, when I say where he wants to be, it might not have been where he wanted to be a year ago. But don't don't underestimate the value of the fact that Mexico is going to the World Cup this summer and the United States right. isn't. And that sell to Jonathan Gonzalez right now from a U.S. perspective is what? Um, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll involve you and we'd like to have you around for the next four and a half years. And then potentially we may go to a World Cup and you may be a part of it right now, as opposed to Mexico, which is going. Now, I'm not saying that Mexico is necessarily promising him anything, let alone going uh, going to the World Cup. But that is a that is a huge huge difference when he is weigh, is weighing those back and forth, and I'm I'm happy because I can just imagine that it must be incredibly difficult. And look, I I never was in that position. While, while my father's Greek, and and I certainly could have played for Greece had I gotten the uh, the Greek passport uh, and gone that route. I was never in the position that he's in, where I had these two two different countries that have meant so much for me. But the reality is, if Greece had come to me and the United States had come to me. I, I am incredibly proud of my Greek heritage, but it wouldn't have been a question. I, I was, I was, it would always be, I want to represent the United States. And that can be very, very different, especially for someone like uh, Jonathan Gonzalez when he's going back and forth. And I, and I, I can, I can, I, I, as I say, I can't have empathy because I wasn't in that position, but I can certainly be, have sympathy in that I, I can imagine what, um, how conflicted he, he sure. may be. And I'm, and I'm glad in that sense that, He's come to a, a decision, and it's done, and he can concentrate on it. And I wish him well. I hope he's wonderful. And will it sting to a certain extent from a U.S. perspective? Yeah, it, it will sting because we could have had him. But you know what? It's our own fault for not qualifying for the World Cup. And ultimately, I guess it's our own fault for you know, for not recruiting and, and showing him love in the way that maybe we could have wooed him. But I, I got I to feel, guys, that uh, without that World Cup, uh, happening this summer, I think it was going to be a real, real tough sell. One of the things oh, yeah. that I like about uh, you as an analyst, Alexi, is the fact that you do take personal some of the things, especially with the national team, um, the pride from being a player yourself and you know being an American like that 
is the the loss or the uh, failure to qualify for the World Cup does sting a little bit for you. It does have a personal weight, does it not? Yeah, it's for a number of reasons, not the least of which is, look, guys, one of the reasons why I'm talking to you tonight is because of the 1994 World Cup. It changed my life forever. I lived the power of what a World Cup can do to an individual. And I understand that every four years from a men's perspective, we have this platform. And in the past, even when we haven't done well, at least we've used it to expose people to the game and introduce people to the game. And come this summer, from a U.S. perspective, we're not gonna we're not gonna have that opportunity, and that stings. That's that sucks because it's a wasted opportunity, and for a game that continues uh, to need those opportunities, it's not something that we ever that that we ever want. So yeah, yeah, it stings, and I'm 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 angry that someone like Christian Pulisic isn't gonna get that that platform and that stage to to show what I believe is that he's he's world class and he could he could be one of the best players in the world and he's not going to have that moment it's been taken away and who knows when you're going to get another moment for those right. for those guys but um you know it's it it was a situation where i know it's it's a lot of people are blaming the system and this is uh this is just uh, you know this is just symptomatic of what's really wrong with us soccer in my mind, guys, it was it, it was a group of players that, while talented individually, they weren't a very good team. And the failure is of the players and of the coach, ultimately, to qualify for the World Cup. I don't think that it's a failure of American soccer, um, and I don't use that to... Uh, to point out the deficiencies and some of the very valid deficiencies that exist out there. It was it was horrible. It was a failure. Uh, they will have to live with it. We will have to live with it for a long time. But if there is any type of silver lining, not something we necessarily needed, maybe it's an opportunity for us to be introspective and to look at ourselves and to get better through the process and come back even stronger next time around. KJ? Before I fire off my own question, uh, now's the perfect time to segue over to a perfect listener question because I heard a little buzzword in there, 94 World Cup. So one of our, our listener questions is from Brian Smith, an Indy 11 supporter based here in Indianapolis, um, and he wants to know, do you still have any authentic uh, USA 94 kits or did you exchange too many with opponents after the match um, or perhaps you kept plenty for yourself? I have a handful of original uh, denim uh, and the stripe uh, 1994 uh, jerseys. Uh, they nice. are they are secure in a uh, underground bump bunker and protected by 24-hour surveillance and security. Um, but yeah, I have I have a few of them. It's it's interesting, guys, because uh, I, you know I don't I know maybe you guys weren't even born back then, but this this oh, faux we denim uh, we, we were jersey we're old. Okay, but it it is it has become so much more accepted than it ever was when it came out. I mean, I, I can I will never forget walking into the room with Bora, our coach back in 1994, and a handful of other players, and Adidas presenting this to the team. And the little trick that the uh, the, the uh, clothing companies do, it, whether it's Nike or Adidas, is that what they'll do is they'll They'll make it seem like you're being involved in the process, but you really aren't. In that, when they finally put it in front of you, they won't be able to change anything. So they walked us into this room, and there was, you know, spotlight on all this stuff. And I'll just, I just remember Bora sitting there shaking his head, going, "Oh my goodness!" And no, look, it was, it was out there, and it is, it has grown on people in so many different ways, like a, like a fungus, I guess. But it, it is, it is turned that corner and, and come back around to be. Uh, one of those iconic type of jerseys, and and when I look at it, there, there probably has never been a more 
American type of jersey when it comes to it. But that's what the <laughs> 90s were about. They were about big, bold patterns and colors and oversized shirts and all that kind of stuff. So I think it, I think it held up well to a certain extent, or maybe it was just rebirthed, if you will, in a, in a different context and under a different type of uh, focus and, uh, and light. Were you disappointed it wasn't made out of actual denim? Is that what the problem was? <laughs> hey, listen, this is the 90s, so anything could happen. I mean, I, I put on a jersey the other day from back in the 90s, and, and back then they were so big, and the material was so weighty, and as, a, as opposed to nowadays where they're making it as thin as possible, both in terms of the, the, the thickness of the material and evidently in, the, in terms of the, uh, the waist size. I mean, these guys, there's no room to breathe. I mean, I, I, don't, know how they, I don't know how they do it anymore, but, um, yeah, it was... Uh, it was it was strange days. I, I I look as I said. I I lived the power of what a World Cup can do to an individual. I milked it for all it was worth on and off the field. I don't regret a thing. It was it was wonderful times. I remember most of it, not all of it, but but it was a it was a great ride on and off the field. And 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 I want somebody else to have that ride. And that's why 2026, if and when it comes back to the United States, joint hosting with Mexico and Canada, uh, I'll be so I'll be so happy and I'll be so full of joy. Because I know that there's an American player who we either know about now or maybe one that's coming up that will use that as a platform. And, uh, and, and knowing that power, um, right. it will change his life. KJ, your other question? Yeah, and if you don't mind, Alexi, I'd like to do a quick little rapid-fire round with you uh, okay. where I just have you know two, three-word questions, going to rattle off, and you just give the first name that comes to your head uh, among the USSF presidential candidates. So. Um, and feel free to pass if you can't distinguish one or you draw a blank. So okay. we'll start with best soccer acumen. Best soccer acumen. Um, I think that would probably be Eric Winalda in terms of the different levels that he has coached. He's been a technical director. Obviously, he's been on air. He's been uh, a straight coach. He's coached in different leagues. He's coached to uh, with success in terms of the Open Cup. So, yeah, I mean, I think I think he knows – as much as anybody out there and probably more than some best business acumen kathy carter and or carlos uh but i i think i think kathy carter um you know i've known her for years and she is uh she is incredibly smart when it comes to the business of soccer best speaker probably uh, Kyle's really good. And, you know, th those of us that, that are on television maybe have a little bit of an advantage, but it also can be a disadvantage because people sometimes don't trust uh, people that are on television, including myself. And that's that comes with the, that comes with the territory. So you may feel that you are you are getting, um, you know, pulled into his gaze or into his hair or something like that. But I think he's a really good speaker. <laughs> I mean, it, you just have to watch him on uh, on NBC where he does a wonderful job uh, with the EPL. And so I think he uses that to his advantage. And he should use it to his advantage. Least baggage. Least baggage yeah, good would one. be um, probably... This is interesting. Mike Winograd or, uh, or Gans, probably, right? Maybe Cal, maybe Cal. Maybe Cal Jury, I guess. But I, I think, you know, Mike Winograd... Uh, I don't know. They're both lawyers, so there's there's always baggage when it comes to lawyers, whether we know about <laughs> it or not. <laughs> okay, and what about most baggage? Oh, I mean, you know, that's going to be hope, right? Um, you know, <laughs> and and which is interesting because I've really been kind of disappointed in in hope, 
I, you know, because anybody that comes into the race, first, first, let me just make this blanket statement. I got a lot of respect for these people to take the time uh, and the energy and to put themselves out there and to have whether it's me or anybody else taking shots at them and and calling them out and doing all that kind of stuff. I mean, that 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 takes a lot. And so when Hope announced, I thought, all right, look, you know, she she knows and she's she's smart enough to know she was going to go and she was going to get, uh, you know, people making jokes and doing all that kind of stuff because she's an incredibly colorful character and, and an incredible personality. But within that, she may be more than anybody. I would think had the opportunity to get her platform out there on uh, on vehicles and platforms uh, that nobody else was. I mean, she could have literally gone on national television because of because of who she is. And I really haven't seen any of that. And that's a little disappointing because um, you want somebody to use what is it what you know stuff to their advantage. And I, look, if you're Kyle, if you're Eric or Kathy or anybody else. Uh, you would have said, look, it would be nice to be able to go on, I don't know, Good Morning America or something like that. And these are the types of places that I think Hope Solo could have could have gone on. And she really hasn't. She's really maintained a really low profile other than her initial Facebook post. And then the other day, a podcast that was actually recorded before she even uh, announced right. her uh, that she was running. So it's a little it's strange in terms of uh, the Hope Solo campaign. What about most meticulous? Um. I think, oh man, I, I think Mike Winograd has been very, very good. Um, look, guys, the, the fact is a lot of these candidates and almost all of them at one time or another are talking about, you know, in big picture stuff, uh, wonderful on T-shirts, wonderful on bumper stickers, but very short on specifics and details. And so when Mike Winograd, for example, comes out and says something that is specific, like guest uh, promotion. Now, look, people are going to scream and yell and people are going to say that's not anything. But at least that is something that we haven't heard before. And that is something that can drive some discussion and debate. In the same way that Kyle Martino came out um, at one point and talked about putting goals on the bottom of basketball uh, nets uh, out there. Now, that's something that's that's interesting, uh, that's new that will foster debate and foster discussion. These are the types of specific because anybody can say we don't want pay to play. All right. That doesn't tell me anything. Because, by the way, uh, I would love to have every man, woman, woman, and child in the United States that wants to play soccer be able to play it for free. But guess what? It costs. So who's going to pay for that? So all of these different things, we don't want pay to play. Um, we want promotion relegation. Great. How are you going to do that? How are you going to convince MLS owners that that's it? Well, you know, Eric will say, well, I'm going to convince them that they can make more money. How? What's, what's your thing? And this, this whole secrecy about uh, what the answers are, if this is truly something bigger than you, uh, then you should want to get that out. And the other, and the final thing I'll say about the candidates in this context is, look, it's all about it's not all about ego, but a large part of it is ego, and I have no problem with that. You're talking to one of the biggest egomaniacs and narcissists uh, out there. All right, I, I I love a good ego. I love a beautiful Why ego, whether it's a player or anybody way. else. So I, I love that. Now you got to be able to harness it, and you have to be able to control it. But if you can, it can be incredible fuel and be incredibly valuable and productive. And last but not least, we won't ask you for an endorsement, but what about your pick for favorite to win? I think right now it's between Kathy Carter and Eric Winalda. I think Eric Winalda has done an incredible amount of legwork. And let's be honest, uh, also, guys, Eric's going to win no matter what. Because if he wins, then he's the president of the United States Soccer Federation. Uh, If he doesn't win... He becomes this martyr. He becomes the patron saint of all of those that feel uh, neglected and disenfranchised uh, out there. That's a and solid take. Yeah, and there's certainly the, those that are out there, and he can go on and be that 
that star for them uh, going forward. Right. So I think he wins either way. But I think right now, just in terms of, of votes, now Kyle Martino's coming out with a new platform, I think, here in a couple of days, maybe next 15, week. Yeah. I'll be really We're interested to see what that's, what that's all about and if there are some details, because I think he needs a real push. Carlos Cordero has been very, very quiet, but don't think he hasn't uh, had connections uh, over the years, and he's probably using those, even though he isn't, hasn't been very loud in terms of what he's doing. So, Alexi, you talked about those, uh, the, the disenfranchised. I don't think you used that word, but I wanted to ask you how closely, uh, first of all, you, you follow lower division soccer, um, since you know, that's kind of what we focus on a little bit here at Sock Takes. Mm-hmm. Uh, much to KJ's chagrin, since he's obsessed with MLS. But as folks <laughs> that cover uh, lower division soccer, I'm curious how closely you follow it. And secondly, um, if you followed it closely, what how you feel about uh, how things have played out in uh, Division 2 in particular? Uh, I follow it closely in terms of what it means for the bigger picture, in that okay. whether it's you know, the lawsuits or the teams folding or the personalities that are involved uh, off the field. So th- that's my interest in terms of how this, I know we, we, we yell whether it is a pyramid or it's not a pyramid, but ultimately how this pyramid looks because, uh, because it matters. Uh, it's never good. Look, we can have our disagreements about NASL or different teams or different personalities, but the fact is that it is never good when a team folds or a league folds. That is never good because it's not just about a team and league folding, but it's about a lot of people, many of who, and actually most of who, that don't even necessarily kick a ball, losing their jobs. And that, that's not something that I want to see ever. You know, having, having said that, I think that there is a desire for some clarity and some understanding as to how this is going to look going, going forward. And we understand you know, that, that, uh, that there's still stuff that's in litigation and, and there's lawsuits and all that kind of stuff. But at some point, uh, you know, last, last year we had two division, uh, two sanctioned leagues. I know a lot of people don't like that necessarily. I have no problem with that. The sanctions are there and the rules are s- such that you can have multiple, uh, multiple divisions that are sanctioned the same. Uh, uh, the same. You could have another Division I uh, league, which is why I always say go build a, a, a better mousetrap and why I, my hat's off to a guy like Peter Wilt, who is doing exactly, uh, doing exactly that. Um, does it clutter the space and does it make it confusing? I, I guess. I, I guess it does. And maybe we're going to have some more clarity and uh, as it goes forward. And if NASL exists and what form it exists in, I have no idea. You guys would probably uh, have some ideas when it comes to that. And then USL, and I think they're very smart and strategic way that they have at times uh, directly or and or indirectly aligned with MLS, kind of reading the tea leaves, leaves and tr- kind of seeing around the corner. Obviously, right now, they, they look to be in a much more healthy position than, right. let's say, the NASL. So w- what do you think is the, the next step for Lord Vision Soccer in, uh, in the U.S.? Because as, as you said, it, it's important to you from the lens of how it fits in the bigger picture. Do you think there's, that U.S. soccer is doing enough to support the lower divisions of American soccer? Enough I, should, support. I, I should rephrase. Do you think U.S. Soccer Federation is doing enough to support? Right, right. Um, the U.S. Yeah. Soccer Federation. Yeah, I mean, because that is, that is their mandate. It's, it, they are not beholden to uh, Major League Soccer solely. Uh, certainly, a lot of energy and uh, a, a lot of um, good comes out with that from that relationship. But 
if it's done at the expense of others, then that's for me is problematic. So yeah, they can they can certainly do more. And uh, you know whether it's whether it's the support in the past. And keep in mind that there there has been support in the past, and some of it that people know, some of it probably that a lot of people sure. don't know in terms of the individuals and the overall support from U.S. soccer as U.S. soccer uh, for things that without that support maybe would have gone away. So yeah, but we can we can always do more. I mean, look, I don't want just one one league. I don't want just one division. I, I especially nowadays, guys, keep in mind that um, the trend is for U.S. men's national team eligible players in MLS, they're getting fewer and fewer minutes. Now, that's a problem from the relationship standpoint. If I'm the U.S. soccer, I'm saying, why should I prop up MLS? Why should I be supportive of MLS, a league that is not generating players that can play for my national team? Why I want to be supportive of places that give jobs to potential future national teams players. I want to give up, be supportive of places that give opportunities to younger players to get playing time. Because you ask any coach anywhere, regardless of where they're from, they will say the most important thing is getting playing time. And so the more leagues you have, the more levels that you have that can incorporate in younger players and less experienced players, the better it is for soccer. And certainly from a U.S. soccer perspective, the better it is for the national teams. Aaron? Yeah, that's that's interesting. I wanted to bring up a few players. We got some player watch kind of trying to tie in this bit. We are in the Indianapolis area and there are two players I wanted to see if you've been keeping tabs on. One of them is a young guy. He is Cameron Lindley. He was pretty big time and and I think he's at North Carolina right now uh, as a junior, maybe has some U20 appearances or, or some rosters. I wasn't sure if you had him on your radar. If you get the newsletter, how that works for you guys? <laughs> uh, no, he's not on my radar. I'll be—I'll be quite honest with you. I mean, that's this is this is what I do. Um, youth development, while I recognize its importance uh, and and that it is vital for the future, it bores the crap out of me. Uh, <laughs> honestly, it does. I, I want the finished product. I want. Uh, I don't. I don't care how it gets made. I just want it to get made. Uh, and. And I know that 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 puts me at odds with others. And there's others that that love it and they love to see the progression of a player and, and all that kind of stuff. I mean, that, that's that's cool if that's if that's what interests you. But it does it really doesn't interest me a tremendous amount. Uh, it doesn't mean, as I said before, that I don't value and recognize the importance of uh, of cultivating and fostering young young talent talent and giving them opportunities to play. And it also doesn't mean that when those players do poke their head into my into my airspace, if you will, that I don't get excited and that I don't pump them up. And that's okay. It's all right. I know we're we're so we're so afraid of of uh, of of hyping players up to the point where we feel we're going to crush them. It's going to be okay. And by the way, if American players really want to compete with the rest of the uh, rest of the world, you better get used to it because every culture and every country hypes up their young phenoms that they have. And some of them pan out and some of them don't, but nobody ever says, Oh, you should stop talking about this guy or you're putting too much pressure on him. Uh, uh, it's okay. And and as I said, so when those young players uh, come to my attention, yeah, I'm going to look into them. I'm going to find out about them. And if they are the real deal, I'm going to hype them up. We have, I mean, from Indiana, the most famous soccer player probably that's ever lived, aside from Alexi Lawless, is Demarcus Beasley from the Fort Wayne area. <laughs> I saw him the other so, day down in Houston. How's he doing? I mean, we're all I mean, friends. We're from Indiana. 
Such a good guy. I mean, just such a wonderful person. What an incredible career, and what a uh, in, in in England they call them uh, they call them servants to the game and all that kind of stuff. Which at times it, it freaks me out. It's it it creeps me out a little bit to call somebody a servant. But uh, in the in the soccer context of being a servant, he has been an incredible servant of the game. Uh, so much more so than me and, and and so many others in terms of his international career and his and his longevity. God, what a what an incredible player. We were so fortunate to be able to to see him for such a long time the last on my hoosier watch list is um somebody who you might be watching and uh, i want to get your thoughts on the return to mls of perry kitchen who's also ah, from yeah he's in my town he's in my town i just saw that he landed in lax over the last couple of days so uh look this is this is an interesting case because uh this is a player who obviously uh, started out and, and and got our attention with what he did with uh, in Major League Soccer and then wanted to go overseas and have that experience. He certainly did uh, at times to some some very, very uh, successful uh, moments overseas. And now he comes back. Is he a a more uh, is, is he a more well-rounded player? Is he a different player? Uh, I think it's a good pickup. I think it's a good pickup from U.S. Uh, from uh, from L.A. And I think that it's um, I wonder you know I wonder how much they're paying him that's going to be interesting because I wonder if he has benefited from that that uh, European part of the resume at times that you do I I, I tell I, I tell uh, players that uh, if you want to make more money you could probably just get on a plane at JFK fly over uh, to uh, to Heathrow, just walk around for a little bit and then come back and your price might actually increase just for having the fact that uh, that you went to Europe uh, because that's how the perception and that's how your valuation sometimes changes. But in his case, I think it's a I think it's a good pickup. I'll be really interested to see uh, what he looks like now after his uh, I don't know how many years, few years uh, overseas. KJ, questions from listeners? Sure. Uh, this one is from Bill Wolf. He's a Cincinnati, an FC Cincinnati supporter, and he starts with a comment, says, thanks, Alexi, for her believing in MLS to Cincy, first of all. <laughs> and his question is, uh, which ties right into NASL, what is your opinion on aligning with the European calendar? Uh, I think that it was done out of necessity, and it's, uh, I think it was a brilliant marketing move in terms of giving themselves some, uh, some time in order to figure it out. Uh, I don't think that had uh, everything been decided and they were well on their way, that it was something that they were going to do. But now, I, what do they have to lose? Go ahead and do it and, right. and see what happens. Uh, I am interested to see if they do play a season and they do play a season that is now on theoretically the uh, – um, are we calling it the international calendar? I know there's some some discrepancy Euro, as to uh, European calendar. Well, whatever, calendar. you know what we're talking yeah. about. You yeah. know what we're talking about when we're, when we're talking about that. Playing from uh, playing from August uh, to the summer as opposed uh, to March until December and stuff like that. Uh, I'll be really really interested to see if uh, if that works. As far as my MLS affiliation, I am a uh, no non apologetic uh, MLS lover. Uh, everybody knows that I am a uh, uh, compromised. Uh, shill for, shill. <laughs> for MLS, uh, and uh, uh, ha uh, hand up, um, guilty as charged. I love Same. MLS. It is, it is la cosa nostra as far as I'm concerned, and uh, <laughs> I know at times I may see it through rose-colored colored glasses, but I also think that 
while at times it's easy to dump on MLS, uh, at times you, you, you need to stand up for it. And sure. um, you need to uh, do so in a way at times that, that punches back on the nose of some, uh, some that are bigger and think that they can uh, uh, have shots at MLS. Some that are valid, but a lot of them uh, that aren't valid when you really get into it. And KJ, I am, I of course, it. on that some payroll as well, Alexi. So uh, <laughs> next time, next go. time you're in indie, dinner's on me, um, courtesy of Garber. Dinner's on some, yeah. Um, but serious question, you know, we all work in the media, and a lot of fans they kind of just see the finished product. You know, the uh, they see you on air, they read the story, they listen to the podcast episode. Could you walk us through a day, kind of behind the scenes of? A uh, typical day when you're going to be on air for Fox Soccer. Um, just walk us through a typical day before you're on air. Okay, so let's say I'm going in to do uh, a Champions League or something like that. Uh, let's let's say studio because as opposed to being on the road. But if I'm in studio, uh, I will get up and the first thing that I will do is you know turn on the uh, the computer and the Twitter machine. And uh, for me, Twitter is a wonderful resource when it comes to news because I can get it quickly. I can filter it out. Um, I can get it actually more more quickly than many others and many other platforms. And so that, that's a wonderful source in terms of getting the information of what's happening. If I'm doing games, uh, has anything changed overnight? Uh, so I deal with that as I'm getting the kids ready for school and, and, doing, all, uh, and doing all the other things. Uh, and then uh, usually either I'm in the car honking outside Rob Stone's house or he's in the car honking outside my house. Uh, I go downstairs. Now, keep in mind, the night before, I will have talked uh, on a one-on-one with our producer for the day, and we will have gone through the show, gone through talking points. I will have bounced stuff off him. Uh, He will have taken the best uh, rips that I have uh, and incorporated into the show. Then we get into the car, Rob and I, and we start driving, and immediately we, um, we talk back and forth about what I may know or what he may know. Uh, he will throw questions at me. I'll throw questions at him. And then we will get on the phone with our chief researcher, uh, David Mossy, who maybe some of your uh, listeners know, uh, formerly from uh, Eric Winalda's uh, WTF uh, radio show on Sirius. Uh, just an incredible person and an incredible wealth of knowledge when it comes to the game. He will then walk us through the show and I will bounce stuff off of him. So now we're really getting down as to what the the topics are that we're going to discuss, what the debates are, what the sides of those debates are going to be. We'll get into the office. Uh, We will go directly to wardrobe. We will get changed. Fox has an incredible wardrobe and makeup department. They dress us, and believe me, I need it, and everybody needs it. Uh, They make (laughs) us look halfway presentable when it comes to the uh, makeup, although they're not magicians. Uh, And then we walk down the hall, and we get into our actual full meeting of uh, producers, uh, directors, uh, all of the talent, all of the researchers, everybody that's involved in the show. And once again, we go through the show and we uh, we make sure we edit where we need to and we make sure we add or subtract things that we need to or things could have changed. In that moment, we go upstairs after that and we start rehearsing. So we rehearse the segments that we're going to do uh, and then that red light turns on. And then you are fortified with all of that knowledge and research. But the reality is, guys, that it is that it is that iceberg where what you see on camera is only the tip. But in order to get the best tip, you got to have all of that research and that and those those conversations and that time and work done beforehand. And 
all of that stuff that you did might get thrown out the window because somebody says something that sends us on a different direction. But you also have to be listening to your earpiece because we're under time constraints. And I not only have to say stuff that's both informative and entertaining, but I also have to edit myself even on the fly to fit into, all right, you got 13 seconds uh, to get this out. And you have to be able to do that. And so then we're off to the races. And then a lot of it is reactive uh, when the games actually start, whether it's highlights or whether it's something that something that's happened on or off the field and, and coming back. And then, uh, you know, we do that and then we'll go to digital maybe after we'll do stuff that's just for digital and standalone. Then maybe I'll do a podcast uh, and then just basically do it all again the next day. And that's not even that's not even when I'm getting up in the middle of the night to do Bundesliga. And then the then the the time change. But the but the preparation is kind of the same. Napoon. Did we lose Napoon? No, no, you didn't lose me. I, I muted myself because uh, I was drinking water. But uh, <laughs> um, it sounds exhausting, I have to say. Like we, we thought we were putting an effort here to prepare for the podcast, but that sounds absolutely exhausting. It's uh, not. I mean, I mean, I make it sounding. Look, I have the best gig in the world, and and they're gonna have to ki- pull me kicking and screaming away from it. And I <laughs> I recognize that, and I understand how incredibly privileged, and I understand how many people out there would give their right arm to be able to do what I do. And I remind myself of that every single day. It is work, uh, and it's a lot of work that goes unseen, and it's different than when you're sitting on your couch uh, <laughs> talking about stuff. Uh, I know it's easy to say, oh, I should be doing that, and that's. If you're if you're good at what you're doing, then that's kind of uh, that's kind of what you want to have happen. You want to make it look easy. You want to make it look like you're sitting on right. your couch. You want to make it look like you're sitting at the bar in terms of the conversation. But uh, we also have a lot of constraints. And, and and there's people that you think are going to be good at it that suck at it. And there's people that you think there's no way this person is going to be good on television. Uh, and they end up being really, really good because they get it. And there's per- people that get it and people that don't. And uh, you, it's really difficult sometimes to figure out who's going to get it and who's not. Uh, so I have to ask you one last question, Lexi. We've taken sure. an hour of your time, which we're very appreciative of. When this season are you going to come to Indianapolis for an Indy 11 game? Ah, you know what? I got. I I, I would love to get there. Uh, as I said uh, before we went on air, I've been to Indianapolis a couple of times. Um, I feel like I was there. I was in this incredible, uh, like, uh, seafood restaurant or so. I can't remember what it was, but anyway. Uh, I'll have to look it up because I, I think I tweeted something from there. It was like this grotto and it was really wonderful. But anyway, uh, <laughs> if it is that I had really, really good food when I was there, but I, I would love to go there because, you know, these are the types of places uh, that continue to grow. And these are the types of places that really uh, not just on the field in terms of giving opportunity, but off the field come to represent what these communities are all about and the people and the, the lifestyle and, and, the, and the very diverse type of cities uh, and communities that we have. And that's the that's the one that's the thing that I love about soccer, and I think it's what differentiates soccer from from so many other sports uh, is this this culture and, and this ownership that people have of their soccer and of their soccer team. And by the way, it doesn't mean that they aren't businesses, and it doesn't mean sure. that they can't move. But having that ownership and and the way that you think of yourself, the way that you talk, the way that you dress, the way that you interact with people sometimes can be informed by this team. And that's something that's really different and unique to soccer and something that I love to see, whether it's in India or any, or in any place else. And I think, uh, I think that that's only going to get more and more powerful as we go along and soccer becomes more and more popular. So, so next month is what you're saying. You're there you go. Next month. We're gonna, I'll, okay. I'll spend a week there. I'll spend a week there. Well, we would love to host you here, Alexi. Thank you so much for joining us. It's 
really great talking to you, picking your brain. Uh, you are uh, you're good. You're a good egg, Alexi Lalas. Well, 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 as I as I tell people, well, not everybody, but I'm going to tell you. Um, while while those Aww. of us while those of us that kick that kick the ball, we get a tremendous amount of credit for the the incredible growth uh, that this sport uh, sport is uh, uh, has had. The reality is that whether it's whether it's you guys or anybody else, you are as much uh, a part of it and as much uh, responsible for the growth uh, and the evolution of this game in this country as any of us that ever kicked the ball. And so in that sense, I don't want to speak for the rest of us, but uh, I want to thank you for what you guys do. And you might not think it's it's important, but it's incredibly important. And it, it is the fabric of this game that we know has flaws, we know uh, has good things and bad things both on and off the field, but uh, I can tell you from being back in the wasteland that was the 80s and, and some of the 90s when it comes to <laughs> soccer, we are so much further along, and it's thanks to the efforts of guys like you uh, and men and women out there that we know, that we don't know, that are working for this game, that love this game. We might have different ideas about it when it comes right down to it, but I think we all agree uh, that soccer's not going anywhere. It's going to get bigger and better, and it's a pleasure to be a part of this community that you guys are part of, that I'm a part of, that we're all a part of. Flattery Fine. will get you everywhere, Alexi Lalas. <laughs> Alexi, where uh, where can our listeners find you? I'm sure there's not a single one of our listeners that doesn't follow you on on Twitter. But in case what they want wanted my, to, you my, my address or something. Your address, no, yes, your address <laughs> and your schedule. No, I, look, I I, uh, I I am on Twitter at Alexi Lalas. I'm on Instagram at I think Alexi underscore Lalas. I've just started to get into Instagram thing. I'm Facebook, uh, Alexi Lawless. Uh, I continue to do music. I'm working on a new album that'll be out right before the World Cup uh, this summer. It's something that I love to do. So uh, all three of my uh, my fans out there will be able to buy it, including my mom, or I hope my mom. Uh, and you know, this is this is this is what I do. I love it. And I, I I don't have all the answers. Believe me, I'm I'm a moron when it comes to a lot of this stuff. And I'm trying to figure it out when it comes to a lot of this stuff. But you know, we're going to muddle through all of this together. And uh, uh, I, I I certainly, as I said, don't have all the answers. And I'm certainly not uh, right. But th this is this is good stuff. This is stuff that I love to do. This has been a real pleasure for me. Thank you so much, Lexi. And gentlemen, thank you for listening. And ladies, thank you for listening. This was episode 36, I think, of the Sock Takes pod. You can find us on Twitter at Sock Takes. Thank you, KJ. Thank you, Aaron. And once again, thank you so much, Alexi.